A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Okay, okay. We're not looking for any pats on the back here, all right? We're just doing our job. A firm handshake is all we ask for. <laughs> and if you think a little ex-hurricane is going to stop three tough sports podcasting nuts from traveling into studio, well, think again, my friend. It's an ex-hurricane. Yeah. For crying out loud. If I know anything about ex-hurricanes, it's... Uh, no. And I don't. And I certainly don't. Hello, <laughs> welcome to Monday Second Captain's Podcast, coming at you from Dublin City Centre. Hi Murph. Hello there, how are you doing? Hi there, Simon. How you doing? Hey, how's it going? It's quite calm out there. It's eerily the... quiet. Yeah, not many people about. It's just, almost there are people milling about, but it's quite calm before the storm. You could Those old that, right? bastards weren't making this shit up. Like you know, <laughs> yeah, there yeah. there is actually some basis in fact in this. The, at all their old nonsense. Ken is tough enough as well to come into the studio on a day like this. He is currently working on the football podcast so that we can get both podcasts recorded and get ourselves, our bodies, out of here mm. safely enough before. The worst of it hits. Murph, you've taken all the necessary precautions, security, garden furniture, bins, stocked up with food. <laughs> I'm not joking. This is what you're I supposed know, to be I know. To do. Have you done all this? Well, myself and my, well, my wife got the day off school yesterday. Or she got, yeah, yeah. Uh, got the, the day off school today. Yesterday. She got the news yesterday. So obviously she went out drinking. And then we woke <laughs> up this morning. <laughs> We're like, so this door. So i sure I have the day off. But why do I have the day off? Okay, yeah. hurricane. So we're sitting there just thinking, well, I suppose we should probably do some, get some food or... Buy a candle. Yeah, something. a candle that's good. Torches are good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think we're all coming a, a little late to this, mm. this whole hurricane preparation, but we're in it now. We Our minds are set square on making sure that we survive the next 24 hours. Myself, yeah, myself and my wife got to pre- pretty late last night. And I, I must say, I tend, to, I tend to be better in the mornings. I switch off a little bit late mm. at night, so I'm not sure how helpful I was. Mm. There was I'm a lot of say not massive. There was a lot of I'll do it tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> I will get tomorrow those. Is the hurricane? Yeah, yeah I, I got up six thirty a.m. this morning. At six thirty a.m., I was wheeling bins away from the danger zone. God, up tight against the side of the house. What would you have the paid to have seen that, Simon? Well, a lot of money. I would have loved it. What were you wearing, by the way? Your pajamas? No, I got in. I got like. The window dress. already rustling around. <laughs> 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 that dressing uh, dressing gown isn't uh, fully cl- uh, fully fastened, though. It, nah, it, sure it wouldn't have been beyond the realm of possibility if you really want to paint this picture. If I should just lie and say I was wearing 
my second captain's robe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I rarely get to wear it, but there is one in my house. They say you should charge everything up, by the way. Mm. Get everything as charged up as possible. So use the office electricity to charge your phones. I know. I'm, ch- my, I'm charging my phone right now because Excellent. you mentioned it to me a number of minutes ago. So Whatever. The most important thing is people get a sports podcast today. Yeah. At yeah. least one, maybe two. That's all that matters. And th- by the way, non-World Service members, we're risking life and limb here to make sure you have something to listen to while this hurricane goes down. All we're asking for in return is to sign up for a month. Mm. Come on. <laughs> Come on. What more do we have to do? It's a fiver plus fat. Just yeah. do it for a month. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if we could open the window and there was like mad storm noises to illustrate the point. I mean, it's not actually yeah, stormy. It's at the incredibly moment. nice outside. So but at the same really time, when you're listening to this, there's a storm. There's literally a hurricane outside. There are a number of cyclists amongst us as well, by the way. That should, should be stressed. Not that I, should, not, I don't know if I should reveal if we did or didn't cycle in because the guard advice was not to cycle. All I'm saying is we've, we're risking ourselves for yeah. here, guys. Details on how to join up are on secondcaptains.com as always. It was the opening weekend of the Champions Cup. That's going to be the focus of conversation today. Simon, what's stood out for you? None of the Irish teams played brilliantly. Um, they all got a result of sorts. I know Munster got the draw, could have lost it. But I thought Leinster, the academy's system, essentially winning over big money was kind of a nice message. I know that's been a bit Irish-centric about it, but it really was a case, when they, especially when they lost uh, Johnny Sexton late and Fardy late. Uh, and the young guys came in and they'd already lost Sean O'Brien. So it was one of the youngest teams Leinster have ever fielded in a European Cup. Uh, Robbie Henshaw sort of typifying the fact that they were just going to grid it out. And they kind of outfought or they were stronger mentally than this team full of very rich rugby players. All right, Jerry Thornley and Gordon Darcy, you're in studio. Thanks for making it in, guys. Pleasure. Particularly given the inclement weather, we'll endeavour to have you both out of here in one piece. It's looking that's calm enough for the time being anyway. That's good yeah. of you. Thanks. I'm good to get to my barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> barbecue? <laughs> F- <laughs> fine, Dave. We're going to come back to Simon's point about Leinster. But just on Munster, first of all, Gordon, is that... Draws are always weird, I suppose. But is that is that a good or a bad one as they go? Um, it's a bit hard to really talk about Munster's season at the, at the moment because there's so much other stuff kind of going on but mm. I think if you try and if we try and forget about all the, uh, the coaching stuff that's that's happening with them I think if you look at it on on just that one result I think it's really positive for them yeah. because you look at what say Leinster have done and you know they won against Montpellier but they have to go down to Montpellier and they're going to have to play down, down there it's this is one of the harder games to win in France and to come away with two points you know or splitting the points is uh, is as good a result, particularly in the last six or seven or eight minutes when... Yeah, there were a couple uh, of feet just about <laughs> yeah. in touch, just about but, at the right time. But you have to take, you have to take, tries being scored. You have to take the, the, the little bit of, bits of luck that you that you get, and they really deserved to be in with creating those little bit of looks. They were really good for large parts of that game. What did you make of it, Jerry? I found it very frustrating to watch. Right. I thought that Castro were beatable. I know Castro are more competitive in the early stages when they're still in with the chance and they tend to only throw their hat at it when they're out of contention and then feel the S-bars. And so you had to take their challenge seriously. But they'd only won two out of their seven games so far in the top 14. And I thought it very, like it was a very fluctuating game. Munster could have had two yellow cards early on, not just Conor Murray. Simon Zebo could have got one for a flap down as well. And yet having said that, I thought they had eminently had the winning of this game at various junctures. And I think when they look back on it, they won't enjoy the review today because there were like 15 turnovers, 22 missed tackles, 11 penalties conceded. It's very hard to win in France when you're mounting up those kind of mistakes. And I thought Tyler Blaindell is still struggling for form. And But there were a lot of encouraging things too, not least in the way Simon Zebo came back. I, 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 Gordon's right, with five minutes to go, and throughout the last five minutes, you definitely would have taken a draw on behalf of Munster at that juncture because the game was slipping away from them. But I think 
all in all, I think they'll still rule a lot of the performance and they left it behind. Gordon, do you think there's any connection between the off-field and on-field performances at the moment? No, I actually think they actually did what you want a team to do. I think you want them to improve from the previous week. Um, their set piece was largely uh, mm-hmm. an, an improvement. Uh, key players playing well again. Um, I think you know he saw the benefit of say Keatley coming on. I think Jerry's probably right. Blenendal's probably struggling for a little bit of form, but they have key players playing really, really well, and they're able to influence the game. Um, and I think we we'll see that in probably all the Irish provinces when we're talking about them. They have key players playing really, really well, and they potentially maybe. Well, that's what you get when you have brilliant players. They're able to um, carry a team, and you do need that. And the Irish teams do rely on that quite quite heavily. You have CJ playing well. Zebo came back in the same way. Uh, Robbie Henshaw coming back, hitting the ground running, and uh, Conor Murray again. Every time I look at him now, he's growing into that player that um, I kind of hoped and knew he would be. And you can see the influence he's having on games. We saw it in the Lions in the summer, but now we're seeing it in in the in the Munster shirt. And he knows he has to because we have that little bit of fluctuation. They have three playmakers as, as the ten, but they're, they're all vying for competition. The one, stability, one stable thing they have in there is Conor Murray. Scandal came back in at centre, and I've heard Ron O'Gara and Keith Wood really talk him up this season. Um, what do you make him? Do you think he was part of the reason that they improved from the Leinster game? Um... Or what do you yeah. think of him in the combination well, as well? Like if you take the first, the first, first bit of that question, I thought it was a strange um, time to pick three playmakers on the field against Leinster when they were going to be in a in a in a forward orientated battle. The Leinster tight five was going to be targeting the Munster tight five, so to pick three playmakers meant you were going to be assuming you were going to get your fair share of good quality ball, which you know I thought was a big assumption to be mm. to be to be making. Um, now, I'm not privy to what the the coaches are thinking and what they're the way they're looking at the resources. They wanted Scannell rested, they wanted him. So they and uh, Rasmus has said he is my starting number twelve. So something else was going on for that selection into the into the Leinster game. Um I think yeah, he was he was really, really positive in defence. He led the tackle line on a couple of really, really important, like incisive decisions. And that was you that's what you want. Um and again, just flicking back over through the videos, you're seeing um a couple of the twelves at the at the weekend making those really big, brave decisions and, and they're what keep you in games. Um yeah, when they go wrong and I've done them wrong a few times. It's like a glaring spotlight on the top of you. But there, that's what that's what you have to do in this game in the Irish team. So Scotland was really, really brave in in, the, in those. What do you mean by b- by brave? So specifically, what sort of stuff are you talking about? Well, like about the then? easy thing to do in a defensive line is to you know come up in unison. But if you actually want to affect a change, you've got to drive that. Somebody has to drive the speed of the defensive line, and I thought he drew he drove that speed uh, numerous times. I thought uh, Issa did it with Leinster, um, and you can see up in uh, up in uh, Ulster, you can see uh, Leifano is trying to do that as well. He's trying to get them off the line, and the more aggressive you come off the line, the harder it is for the uh, attacking team to um, to to make those uh, to make those big decisions. So when you're away from home, the easy thing is to come up, see what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then let them play and try and react to it. He was brave and he made his made decisions. And then more importantly, that the, he executed the tackle really well. Are you also then making decisions for the rest of your your team? Essentially, they're having to follow you. If you if you're forcing the 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 speed of it in that way, they've got no choice but but to back you up. And therefore, you've got a fast defense. Yeah, it's not a, it's not an either or. It's not an either or. They are. That, it was a conscious decision to 
increase their, their their line speed and he's he's comfortable in there he understands the position we we know his attacking attributes and they're really easy easy and obvious to see he's a nice cultured left left foot but the thing that maybe hasn't been as evident up to now has been that real uh, tackle uh, and defensive qualities and you can see he got a little bit uh, in the in the media he you know cut off um, a question to say you know I enjoy the physical aspects of it as well and you know I I like to see that Gordon, we hear more and more, um, particularly say co-commenters, talking about line speed. If they're ex-players, you'll hear them say line speed's really good today or it's really had an impact on the game. Why does that vary so much from game to game? And why don't all teams do it? Because it feels like to, to us watching on, people don't understand that elite level of the game, that it always kind of works. If your line speed is good, then it really does impact on the, the attacking team. Um, I think when it works, everybody is is working in unison. I think when it doesn't work is usually down to uh, if it's from the attacking side, why? Uh, sorry, the defending side when it hasn't worked, somebody is late getting into position, and when somebody is driving, the, the line speed doesn't see that somebody's out of position, and they make up, they create a dog log or a dog leg, or they create a weakness in that line that good teams will, uh, like a Johnny Sexton or an Aaron Cruden or a Dan Carter will focus on, go off the 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 attack and go to where that weakness is. Um, when the attacking team are creating quick ball and go forward and you'll see defensive players retreating at different speeds and getting set at different speeds and then trying to generate a quick line speed and it's fragmented and it's disjointed and that's when it doesn't work. So it, nothing happens in, uh, in, in, in a vacuum, as, as essentially. If you want to generate quick line speed, if you want to be the team on that, you need... You know your uh, your CJ Stander or your Josh van der Fleer in slowing down that down to a three four second ruck ball so you can get your defensive line set and then you can aggressively go off. But when guys when you, when the when there's uncertainty there, that's when you say people do the safe thing and they only take maybe one or two yards and then they sit and then they wait. Jerry, just on the off the field stuff, which it's impossible not to reference the latest today in case people haven't seen you reporting on it or seen the latest. Essentially, Razzy Rasmus is now talking about uh, work permit issues for Van Van Gran, and that will impact how long Erasmus stays. This is getting to be a bit of a mess, is it not? I think it probably looks a bigger mess from the outside than it actually is but within the setup. Well, they either need Erasmus there until the end of the year, as he was supposed to be, mm-hmm. or not. And if they if they do need him there, if he's able to stay there until the end of December, if there is a possibility, surely he should, he should be obliged to do that, regardless of whether or not Van This is the idea. He was going to be there to show Van, uh, Van Han the ropes and to ease the transition. But if he was to just head off in a couple of weeks, that takes that out of the equation entirely. And you've got a brand new coach trying to get used to a brand new set of players and brand new structures without the help of anyone, really. Well, it would be disappointing, certainly, if he wasn't true to his word in ensuring as smooth a transition as possible, a la when Pat Lamb came in and worked alongside Eric Elwood in the background for a few weeks um, towards the end of the season before he took over. Ideally, yes, to ensure a smooth transover, that Van Graan should be working with Erasmus for at least two or three games before that happens. If that doesn't happen, yes, you're right. But I still think that... um, that will happen on the balance of sch- in the scheme of things. I think what he's talking about, he clearly wants to be home by November the 1st because his agent has publicly said as much. Mm. So if Van Graan arrives in the next week or two, then that's feasible. If Van Graan doesn't arrive, he says he will stay till December. I think from the, within the organisation itself, months are just going on with business as normal. I mean, they will turn up today in the UL and work away as they do normally. And I think it becomes more of a talking item for us in the media than it is within the setup, and I think handing over from one um, 
similar minded uh, South African coach to another with the two men being in situ for a few weeks is about the best that Munster could have made out of it. It's not their fault that um, Razi Erasmus has decided to leave. Um, that's, you know, that's, that's his decision. Well, a shame, Horgan was saying last week, they could have just cut their losses and said, all right, if you're gone, you're gone. We'll sort it out. We'll let Jerry Flannery take it for a while. And then we'll they let would Felix have been... Jones take it for a while. And, and rather than having this guy dictating terms, essentially, and as Shane said last week, it seems there's an impression out there that this job is not that big. If a guy can just play fast and loose with it, as he has been doing. I don't know that he has been playing fast and loose. He has said that they want him to stay until the end of December. If Munster and Van Grand want him to stay, he will stay. He's on record as staying, staying that. Um, had Munster passed the reins over to Felix Jones and Jerry Flannery, you could be sure they would have been lacerated from a height for having three different head coaches in spaces of six months, effectively. And that would have been... in would have been quite a rough transition if that had been the case with an interim coaches before the handover to Van Grand. So I think, on balance, they've made the best of a bad lot. Gordon, is it true, though, that the players wouldn't care about this? We were talking to Owen Redden about this as well, and he said, players are selfish, they're worried about their performance, they're worried about getting picked for the next game. But surely you guys talk behind the scenes. If Cheka was to leave halfway during a season, that would be an obsession of the players there at the time. Yeah, well, like we had it with um, Declan. Um, mm. Course, yeah. in, 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 in with Leinster and we had uh, obviously Gary Ella um, obviously his exit wasn't exactly uh, smooth or well done um, yeah it absolutely affects you I think you kind of it's one of the, it's one of these things that you can't necessarily you don't want to bring any undue attention to it and you obviously have to you're trying to just get away from that kind of a questioning but you know as a player when you have a coach and you understand him and you, and you know him and he's picking you you, you know, you're quite, you're quite. You're from that selfish element, you are quite happy that he, that he is there. Um, a coach coming in, you, nobody in Munster knows is this guy going to like how he's going to play. You know, you use the say the Joe Schmidt um, format for playing rugby at the moment, and they are players are cogs in positions to fulfil a process driven uh, um, game plan. Mm. If the new coach comes in and, and has a different re- skill requirement or attitude required for a second row, for a centre, for uh, uh, his wingers. You know, suddenly you become a uh, a, a square peg in, in, a, in a round hole. So, yeah, th- players thrive on certainty. And, you know, again, you can see that with Leo Cullen, you can see it with Joe Schmidt, you can see it with uh, Les Kiss. He's trying to give players as much certainty as uh, as possible. And they they thrive in that environment and they enjoy it and they go, I know what I'm doing, I know where I'm going to be, I know where I'm not going to be. The What Munster are actually doing is they're actually performing well, so it does alleviate a bit of that. But it still is there. If, if um, you know, a, a win this week um, would be really, really positive for their mindset because then it's going, you know, we're actually dealing with this pressure quite well. And I, I think it could be a positive for them and, you know, it may drive in that little bit of Munster culture that has been maybe sleeping for a while and you can see the real positive of having Flannery and having uh, Felix there. Mm. Do you remember when David Humphreys left Ulster in 2015? Yeah. They had um, Neil Doak in interim charge pending Les Kiss's arrival after the World Cup and I don't think anybody in Ulster will say that worked and Doak has since moved on and Alan Clark has since moved on so um, I'm, I still don't think that putting Jerry Flannery and Felix Jones in temporary charge would have lessened this level of uncertainty or doubt in, in the players' minds. It just seems to me incredible that they're waiting on the vagaries of the work permit system now to find out who their head coach is going to be in a couple of weeks' time. I yeah. don't know. But they know who their head coach is going but to there be. But there time. is some things you just can't control. Exactly. You know, and I think there isn't a 
there's no silver, silver bullet solution to this. It is really uh, complicated. Erasmus had, you know, had said, I really want to stay here and has head has been turned and he's now he's not staying and there is obviously trying to find a coach mid-season is not ideal so there are certain there are certain I suppose lesser of two evils that you have to take yeah Erasmus doesn't come out of this too well does he I know Simon has this theory that, the, that he's, he, he has kind of a, a demeanour he seems quite warm he sort of has mm. this warm cloak he's around him but he's acting he, he's, he he's acting as, as coldly and as ruthlessly and as I suppose professionally in his own self-interest yeah because the ultimate timing can. of him saying I'm leaving is the killer here if he'd done this halfway during the scene and says I'm leaving at the end of the season that's yeah. fine you cope with that or halfway through last season or just give a full year or say I'm leaving straight away and then Munster have to cope and they do find a new coach or they do say Jerry Flannery and Felix Jones can take over as head coaches but I think you're right Gordon the players are actually playing really well in spite of what's happening off the field and the one thing we've known from speaking to players over the years is that they love to reduce the variables in their lives because a professional sporting career is so full of things you can't control be it your form your confidence whether your coach picking you all those other things so to have this big thing hovering in the background has got to impact on players but actually Munster of any province in Europe probably cope better with things going badly off the field or with things in a state of flux it almost sometimes galvanised them and who knows yeah. it could even could even help them let's talk about Leinster Simon described earlier as a win for the academy system <laughs> over the cash of the French clubs would you go along with that? You'd have to go along with that I mean when you think that they were missing 300 odd Heineken Cup caps and the four stellar names that were absent Jamie Heathup Sean O'Brien Johnny Sexton Rob Carney then they lose Scott Friday before the game then they lose Easton Asewa of all players it was a remarkable performance I thought um, I thought it was by some distance the best Irish performance of the weekend and credit to their system, there's no conveyor belt like it in the world. There's no team in world rugby at a professional level producing a, a team, a squad from, of players from within their own province, quite like Leinster are doing. It's a tribute to the whole system there, their machine. And it's, um, it shows you money can only buy you so much and it can't buy you the kind of togetherness that comes with when you grow up in your own. Gordon would know this better than anybody. When all the lads grow up in their own system, through the school system, they know each other from an early age and they just have this togetherness about them. They're also very well coached. and They've also got a lot of talent coming through. And I thought it was a really brave performance in so many ways, not just there's bravery in putting your body on the line, which they certainly did, not least when that human tank, Nadola, was running at them. Um, um, but the way they regrouped, the way they... They scramble in defence and the way they play, the way they went for their tries, the way they executed and scored their tries. I think to get a 5-1 return, in, given the injury profile they had from that game so early in their season with some of their lines still not up and running really, was a remarkable performance really. I thought it was an excellent game, cracking game. I thought it was a fine win and fine outcome for them. Who caught your eye particularly at the young lads, Gordon? Um, I kind of had a, had, a, had a flick back through it again. It's really hard to like. You can probably go right the way through the right through. Everybody had their uh, their their bits and uh, bits and pieces and their, and their individual moments to to shine. And I think as the team starts getting a little bit more settled, you will probably see less and less of those individual moments, and the team performance will, will probably come up uh, a little bit. Um, every time I see Robbie Henshaw, I'm impressed by him. Um, just the, the uh, sorry to cut across here, just before it slips out of my mind, the tackle on the dolo. So people didn't see it. At one moment, he got bumped in midfield. Bumped is such a gentle term. He got <laughs> steamrolled by Nadolo. <clears throat> hits the deck. A normal human being would just be on the ground struggling to get back up. He had the presence of mind to tap tackle the man as he's falling. Then get up and crouch over Pienaar, who was trying to get the ball away, and turn him over. You could see Pienaar was so exasperated. He was like, how did he, how did he actually manage to do that? Yeah, so that was very similar to how I used to play, except I didn't do the second two bits. I just got, <laughs> I just got run over uh, quite regularly. 
Um, yeah, just he's he's an incredible competitor, and um, you know we kind of said this before when I saw him coming into the Irish camp, and uh, it's like seeing your your mortality before your eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, he's stuck in every uh, idea you have out of your head, and then you realise he's eleven years younger than you, <laughs> three inches taller than you, and a stone heavier than you. <laughs> and you try and injure him straight away. Now, yeah, is he better at outside centre? Uh, you know, I don't I don't want to go. I have my my opinions on this, and I think. Um, he is a little bit shoehorned into in, into twelve. I think his natural ability, even that outside break, is uh, is 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 really where his strengths are. His passing skills are, you know, he he's so he is a quality athlete. But I think the transition from fifteen into twelve for him, I think fifteen to thirteen is as good. But then when you have the quality of Gary there as well, I think you have to get your horses for courses. Yeah, I think even judging, he was asked that on on TV afterwards, and I'm sure you have to put up with these kind of questions. But it seemed pretty. <laughs> to me that he reading between the lines he was saying I love playing at 13 because there, there, there is that, that space you do get to do slightly more uh, slightly more of the glamorous work maybe than at 12 yeah it, it, I think playing 12 constrains him constrains a lot of his talents you, you saw that with the Barry Daly try and the way he used his footwork and his distribution onto Joey Carberry who also used his footwork and distribution and then that fine finish by, Dar- by Barry Daly he doesn't get as much scope to do that at 12 for sure um, he probably wouldn't have been on hand to score the try he scored because he's just a bit further across the field for that cross kick um, I think it might well be important of things to come in the autumn I could well see him starting at 13 for Ireland with Bundyaki at 12 or Stuart McCloskey at 12 or whoever Yeah if you're not Jamie Roberts or if you're not you know uh, sorry more actually if you're not a Mac Gitto type player who is you know, an out and out in that second in that second five eight. Mm. If you're not absolutely one of those cut and dried second five eight players, you're kind of cast as a a twelve in the mould of you've got to carry the ball and create, go forward for the rest Everyone of the team. Else, yeah. And that's the way a lot of the Northern Hemispheres are playing in that kind of way. You see uh, Eddie Jones just wants Manu to to Alangi back, arguably as a twelve to, to create that go forward for them. And I think. You know, unfortunately for Robbie, that's just the modern game and the time he's playing. And that if he's playing twelve, he is going to be have to have to have to do that. But listen, I think if he gets to play at thirteen in November, it'll be uh, you know it'll, it'll 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 make the rest of the season a little bit easier. There was a debate debate surrounding Henshaw on the Lions tour mm. um, that his distribution wasn't quite at the level of some of the other Lions options at twelve. Um, his defense, like he might be one of the best defensive players Ireland's ever had, but. Do you think it's harder, is the distribution more difficult at 12 or 13? I know they're quite different jobs, but which of those two positions would suit his distribution side of things? Forget about defence. Yeah, it, that's a, I, honestly, I hadn't actually heard that from the Lions because Bentio played the first test. Mm. And I'm pretty sure passing is not a strength. Yeah. Of, uh, Do you know how many times he passed the ball in the first test? Ben, like not an, if it wasn't an offload, I wouldn't think he did. Zero. Put um, the ball eight times and pass it once. Most famously when they had that overlap. Yeah. After the breakout from and deep. Owen Farrell is an enigma in that yeah. he is one of the few tens that actually makes the transition to twelve mm. um, seamlessly um, and hits defends harder. Uh, he's he is that he is the closest um, in the modern game to a Johnny Wilkinson. He's just he is he's an all round player. Mm. Comparing Robbie to uh, Owen, you know you start you know uh, Owen's carrying ability compared to say Robbie's you know you start going different skills Robbie is a really really good distributor but the game plan that he's operating in and the way he's operating in it's you know you tailor to what the strongest skill he has which is his ability to be players and carry the ball in in contact but he, you can see when he when he was it has that extra yard of space and that is the difference in 13 you have the ball in your hand for 
a microsecond more, you don't have to be making the decision as the ball is on the way to you. Which at 12, you have to have decided what you're doing before you've caught it. Um, whereas 13, you can catch it and then make a decision. Now, you're still talking split seconds, but mm-hmm. you have a split second longer with the ball because you might be able to carry it and you might be able to go for that outside break. Jerry, just a word. And Ulster obviously had a big win at the weekend. Mm. We haven't really, I don't know if we've discussed Jacob Stockdale yet. He got his fifth try in five games. Is he the type of player do you think that could figure in November? He's big, he's strong, he's good in the air. Um, he's the prototype, really, of what Joe Schmidt would want in his wingers, I think. Um, yeah, he could well feature. It was, in the first half, Ulster were not good, and they really, it was, when Gordon was talking about a fast-up defence, I was immediately thinking of the Ulster-Wasps game. Wasps, their line speed, they conceded three penalties for offside, but they completely ensnared Ulster, couldn't generate any go-forward at all in the first half. Um, maybe Wasps started to wilt with the five-day turnaround, their injury profile, but certainly the big guns then started to motor and get them over the game, like, like Henderson and McCluskey and others. But throughout the match, from the word go, and it was the same the previous week when I was up there for the Connacht game, it's just whenever Piatau and Stockdale combined, it was like a different match suddenly started to take place. And particularly down Christian Wade's win, it always looked the likeliest source of tries for them. And they just have, seem to have a telepathic understanding. Now, You, when we talk about quality, world-class overseas signings, Leinster have had them over the years, a player like Pietau can only help fast-track Jacob Stockdale's development. I'm sure he's learning so much. He's talking about afterwards, basically just follows him around the pitch because he knows is going to do something and he's going to benefit from it. And their their combination play for, for the both tries and the previous week just gives them an X factor that gives them a chance of winning games that otherwise they might well have struggled to win. What do you reckon, Gordon? Is Stockdale the real deal? Um, yeah, my first ever game commentating um, was actually uh, an Ireland under twenties game, and he was playing in it. And even then, I suppose you kind of you're thinking back to that game now that you're seeing the the senior player and his ability to find space on the pitch and his ability to get it there in a really efficient manner was. Pretty, uh, pretty impressive. Um, I think it was against New Zealand, and they were just chipping. He was just continually just chipping over the defensive line. Continually, he caught three, four of them on the, you know, on the bounce. You could see the backspin on the ball sitting up for him. Um, and then once they started defending that, he started he ch- completely changed his game. The big, long, raking kicks, and was just, you know, a, a standout player then. And you could tell he had, he had, uh, he had pace. But it's interesting to see how much he, he has come on. Uh, probably Ulster could use this uh, as a, as a business. Well, the next time they need to sign an overseas player, they might need to put a business plan together. But. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Piatau and the influence he's had on the had on had on a, on, on a young winger. All right, lads, we better let you go. It's still looking nice and calm out there. So <laughs> while the going's good, we we'll let you go. Thanks a million for that. Cheers. Thank you. When you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go downtown. When you've got worries, all the noise and the hurry seems to help. I know. Downtown. Just listen to the music of the traffic in Six the street. Six foot nine outside here. On the sidewalk where the neon All rejected by Parker. How can you lose? Pops the shot. Nothing but net. You can't forget all your troubles. Coast to coast by the Americans. Downtown. One last word on the rugby, in case you haven't heard about this already, there's a documentary tonight, that's Monday night on RT1 on TV, about the great Anthony Foley. It's directed by Ross Whittaker, who we had in studio a few months back. Friend of the podcast. Friend of the podcast, yeah. 
hand has been stamped. <laughs> we talked to him about his great surfing doc. Ross also did one of the all-time great Irish sporting documentaries when Ali came to Ireland. And you've had a sneak preview of this one, Simon? Yeah, he sent me a, a copy of it last week, got to look through it. God, it's a year ago, and uh, you're reliving it as if it's... It feels very recent, you know. And when you see the access he has to some of the family members, uh, a lot of Anthony's close friends, uh, like, say, Paul O'Connell and Jerry Flannery speak on camera, particularly the time when, when it covers the time around his death. Mm. My God, they speak as if it happened yesterday and they're emotional as if it happened yesterday. Um, it's very kind of hard-hitting around that time. And then it sort of goes into the Munster story as well and just how central Anthony was to that. Um, so you're kind of reliving the old days as well, but the stuff around the funeral is is pretty hard to watch, but uh, brilliantly done. Okay, well, assuming you still have electricity, then watch that doc at 9.35 tonight on RT1. Thanks very much for all that, Simon. Thank you. Thanks, Kieran. Uh Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ophelia. Thank you, Simon. Thank you, Ophelia, thank you, for both. holding off long enough so that we could record Sound at least one Ophelia. podcast Sound. safely enough. Stay safe, everybody. And yeah, stay we will safe, everyone. See you on the World Service tomorrow. Take care. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.